You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. Thanks, Sia. And thanks, everyone, for joining us on episode two of Western Sydney Health Check. I'm privileged to have with me today two special guests to talk to us about COVID-19. Joining me today is Professor Tanya Sorrell, Director of Infectious Disease Services at Westmead and Director of the Marie Bashir Institute for Infectious Diseases and Biosecurity at the University of Sydney. Thanks for joining us, Professor. Pleasure, Harrison. Also with me is Dr Shopna Bagg, Director of the Public Health Unit at Western Sydney Local Health District. Thanks for joining us, Doctor. Oh, thank you, Harrison. Okay, let's jump right in, shall we? The first question is for you, Professor. Could you tell us what is COVID-19? COVID-19 is the name of the disease that's caused by the new coronavirus. The actual name of the virus is rather long. It's SARS-CoV-2 because it's related to the virus that caused SARS a couple of decades ago. COVID-19 itself is the disease which everybody is concerned about and which we're going to be talking about today. And why should people be more worried about this disease than, say, influenza, for example? I think the the reason for more concern about this disease is because it's a new virus and it's a a disease about which we are uncertain. We're learning as we go along. We're learning from what's happened in China. We're learning from what's happened in other countries. And we're learning from what's happening in Australia but there are still a significant number of unknowns and I think that's why we're concerned about it until we know more about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but I think the topic on everybody's mind at the moment is how is this disease spread? So perhaps, Doctor, if I could ask you, how is COVID-19 spread? Yes, so COVID-19 is spread through someone who has the infection to someone who's in close proximity to them. And when we talk about close proximity, it's because they could be coughing or sneezing contaminated droplets to this other person, as well as on contaminating their hands, on surfaces around them. So we worry about people who might be in very close contact with them, often their household members or people who um, care for other patients who may have the infection, which is why we work on in good infection control and good personal protective equipment so we can manage any spread. Great. Thinking about that from a public perspective, this week we've heard a lot of talk about social distancing. Could you explain to us what that is, what it actually looks like and why it might be necessary? Absolutely. So what we understand by social distancing is we know that it is effective when people do maintain some distance from other people. And the reason we know it's effective is because if someone could have the symptoms and they're mildly unwell and they haven't or they're waiting to get tested, we want to prevent it from spreading to anyone else in the community. Now, when you're practicing social distancing, the first thing we say is if anyone is unwell, they need to stay home, they need to contact their doctor or a provider to get medically assessed and avoid coming into contact with anyone else who may be vulnerable to the infection. When we mean social distancing, we're talking really about large mass gatherings. And we understand now that we don't want people to be getting together in big groups. Even in smaller groups, it's understanding that we can do things like maintaining a social distance between each other. When we, um, if we do happen to 
a cough or have to sneeze to be able to do it in a hygienic way. So for example, coughing into a tissue or coughing into your elbow and making sure that we um, go to use soap and water, practice good hand washing or using an alcohol-based hand rub to provide that sanitation. So those are very simple measures that we can do in our homes as well as in our workplace. Social distancing doesn't apply to, for example, going into work using public transport, but it's just being mindful that if I feel unwell, that I actually make a decision to stay home and work out what I need to do next. And perhaps just to enlarge on that a little bit, you can then, knowing that infected hands or surfaces are likely means of catching the infection or acquiring the infection, why the recommendation for not hugging and kissing strangers or indeed close friends or relatives becomes important. It's quite hard for us to actually do that. And the other thing while we're talking about uh, touching, uh, try and remember as much as possible not to touch your face because that's a very good way of spreading infections, not just this one, but the common cold and influenza Mm -hmm. as well. Great. All of that makes a lot of sense especially if you're displaying any symptoms. What about people who feel healthy and and well and not particularly feeling at risk? Is it still important for them to practice some kind of social distancing? Absolutely. So what we're trying to do at a population level is really try and prevent any risk or potential risk of transmission because we also know that when people start to become unwell, they are actually maybe infectious just 24 hours prior to it. So by practising social isolation, regardless of how you feel, we're actually doing something to help protect our, our community. The other thing to add is we should be thinking about when you go and visit an aged care facility, so relatives, looking at ensuring that if we feel unwell or not to visit those facilities, hospitals and any healthcare setting, we should not be uh, going in, uh, especially because we are trying to reduce the potential transmission to other people in the community who may have more vulnerable conditions in their uh, medical conditions or immunosuppression. Professor, if we could take a little bit more time now to think about people who do feel like they're getting sick, what are the symptoms of COVID-19 that we should be looking out for? Sure. So probably the most common symptom is a fever. Around 90% of patients will actually have a fever, but I would emphasise that means 10% won't. Uh, Also a cough, um, shortness of breath, some flu-like symptoms like muscle aches and pains or a headache or occasionally patients will have diarrhoea or they might have some nausea or feel sick. So a number of fairly non-specific symptoms uh, can present this way. And clinically, it's really no different from influenza, but it's a very different virus. Interesting. How do we test the difference between COVID-19 and other infections? So to make the diagnosis, we need a swab from the nose and throat or if patients are ill sometimes and they happen to be on a ventilator, we can take a sample from deep down in the lungs. 
but the most important thing to note is that it's a, a, a swab from the nose and the throat, and we have to have a sort of deep dive into the nose to have to maximise our chances of getting a positive test. In in patients, it's important to know that the blood is not infected unless you are in an ICU and close to the end. So it is a little bit uncomfortable to get tested. Can be a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. When might I need a test, Doctor? So as um, Prof has mentioned before, when someone has any of those symptoms and we're really looking at individuals who have recently returned from overseas travel who may have some of these symptoms, we're looking at anyone who may in fact be a close contact and be contacted by the public health unit and been informed that they may have been in contact with a close uh, a case of COVID-19. And if they develop any of those symptoms that, as mentioned before, they need to get tested. And we do have uh, a, a healthcare workers or anyone else in the community who are working closely in facilities who, if they develop any symptoms, we're asking them to get an assessment as well. If anyone is worried about the symptoms that they may have travelled or they're concerned about the symptoms that they have, it's really important that they first they speak to their doctor, their local doctor, or they can call Health Direct, which is a New South Wales hotline, and they can assess your symptoms, understand what other risk factors you may have and guide you to a, a medical assessment point. Just on, on the topic, I perhaps could have mentioned there's been a lot of concern in the community about whether sniffles and uh, sneezes are part of this syndrome. And if we look at the information from China, around 4 or 5% of people can have those symptoms. Obviously, that's very similar to a common cold. But what we don't really clearly know is whether they can have them in isolation and still have COVID. In other words sneezes and sniffles, but no other symptoms. And Shopna, I don't know whether you want to expand on that a little. I think we really need to uh, focus on, you know, what we understand based on the information we have on the cases to date. And we've got a lot of information now from what's going on in China, what's going on around the world. And we really find that it's either a fever or it's shortness of breath, a, short, a sore throat, and a cough. And I think we really want to ensure that we get the individuals who do meet the criteria where they've travelled or they've been in close contact with a confirmed case who do have these symptoms to get the test because then we can isolate them and manage their close contacts. But we want anyone else to also just be aware of these symptoms but not to necessarily get worried it's being able to do what we need to do, such as home uh, social distancing, good hand hygiene, washing our hands properly at, at every moment that we are outside, when we're inside, before we prepare any food, when we're caring for anyone else in our family, and making sure that we can teach our children, our community members and our workplace to be practising these very simple measures to say if they do just have a sniffle, they don't need to go get tested, but they need to practice social isolation, good hand hygiene, respiratory hygiene, as well as staying home from work and talking to their, looking at themselves and saying, if I feel worse, 
do I need to get a medical doctor or someone to have a look at me and go from there? So I guess what you're saying is if somebody feels sick, they've got any respiratory symptoms, it's not desirable for them to go to work, for example. On the other hand, if they've just got the sniffles, it might be better to give their GP a call to make a risk assessment and he or she will probably say, sniffles, stay home. Absolutely. I think that's good practice. I think a lot of people will be learning how to walk, uh, work from home right now. <laughs> so let's take this to a, a worst case scenario. Say you decide to get tested and you do test positive for COVID-19. What happens next? Well, the first thing with uh, public health together with the clinical team will be calling the patient, the person who's positive, and be ensuring, one, whether or not they need to be uh, managed in a clinical setting or if they're stable enough to be managed at home. It is very important that anyone who is a confirmed case is isolated. And that's also ensuring that their family and home situation is able to manage that and working with the public health unit with the clinical team to ensure that they are monitored, that if they do worsen, the clinical team is able to look after them. That might involve being in a hospital um, and then being able to understand how their clinical resolution continues and hopefully then be able to discharge them and be able to clear them from the virus. And that's what the clinical team do together with the public health unit. Now, I, th I think it's really important that if you are being managed at home with infection, that you do abide by the home quarantine. This is one of the really important measures that we need the public to be on board with so that the disease doesn't get out into the community. And, and of all, all of us can understand while I'm at home, you know, what I normally do is not stay in quarantine, mm. but it's a really important measure for those who are infected. And I think it's also um, knowing that what you're doing is public health and the team is also looking after that welfare. So we ensure that if it's a concern about groceries, if it's a concern about a couple of things that you don't know how to manage because you're in this home isolation setting, that we have systems in place to be able to assist and manage that for you, especially because we understand that there might be individuals out there who may not have any family or close networks to support them at this time or may not be able to. Um, I think the other thing is there's very uh, useful information um, that has been prepared together uh, looking at what's being done in the CDC together with WHO and China and how do we safely manage someone at home and protect the rest of their household. I know that people might be worried about what to do when they've got kids, partners, family members, elderly parents, and there are a lot of resources on the New South Wales Health website to provide guidance to families, things that they can do in terms of cleaning, reiterating the social distancing that they can do within the home, as well as practising good hand hygiene respiratory precautions so they can be safely managed at home or in hospital. And I think the other thing it's, it's worth pointing out is that if you have a very mild illness and you are being managed at home, the follow-up is very important because sometimes in the second week of the illness you can get a bit worse. So if your symptoms do worsen in that time, very important to be immediately in contact with the public health unit or with your treating doctors who will be following you closely anyway, but it's really just uh, for you to be aware that you might feel fine in the first week, but you could feel a bit worse in the second week. 
Absolutely. And I, I think we've also got a dual purpose in doing that follow-up is especially where cases do have household members living at home still who are obviously in home quarantine. We know that it's this close contact with someone who's potentially infectious, a confirmed case, who obviously the household members may develop the illness. So the public health unit are also working to ensure that we're monitoring their household members as well, being able to assess them and organise testing through the clinical team or through a, a local GP provider in a safe way um, to ensure that we're looking after the family as well as the wider community. And I suppose it's important to emphasise people are very worried about their kids. What we are learned or what we have learned so far is that kids quite uncommonly actually appear to be infected or certainly develop symptoms. The data coming out from China suggest about 4 or 5% of all of the cases and when they do get an infection, they really handle it extremely well. They seem to have very little in the way of symptoms a little more controversial because we don't have quite as much evidence. It seems that children don't transmit infection all that readily. And in fact, in the household setting, it's more likely to be the adult transmitting the infection to the child, very much more likely than the other way around. That's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that and for that reassurance. That is pretty much all we have time for today. But there's so much more we could talk about. Where else should people go to get reliable information and advice right now? So the New South Wales Health website is um, has an FAQ section and they continually update that uh, on a regular basis. In fact, a couple of times a day, they ensure that any information, whether it's to members of the public, to clinicians, to any, um, any staff working in public or private facilities, as well as for travel, schools and education, it's all on this one website. And the other thing to say is I know that any questions that may not be on there, they are extremely responsive in trying to ensure that they cover information as quickly as they can to provide this information to all of us. So I think it's a, an excellent uh, site to be able to get the most reliable, up-to-date information on COVID-19. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us today, Professor Sorrell and Dr. Bag. Thank you very much, Harrison. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode of Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District.